What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to this moment, your transatlantic bridge connecting Stockholm, Sweden to Harlem, New York City, to all BIPOC communities across the globe. I'm Chef Marcus Samuelson, one half of this moment with Jason Timbuktu Diakite. As you all know, we're all about sharing our BIPOC stories from all walks of life. And this week, we'll be joined by none other than chef extraordinaire Melissa King out of San Francisco. Melissa has, for over 15 years, cooked in some of the best kitchen in the world. She's also the winner of Top Chef All-Star. I was lucky enough to have one of her great meals and judging her and the food was incredible. Melissa is a proud queer Asian American woman who's just as much an activist as she is a chef, supporting many different nonprofits, including Stop AAPI and The Trevor Project. Melissa's journey to being one of the most recognizable, talented young chefs in the United States today is super inspiring. So let's hear her story. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I feel like we have one of the most talented chefs in the country, in the United States, and therefore uh, one of the most talented chefs in the world. We're going to talk to the Melissa King. What's up, Melissa? How are you? What's up, chef? That's quite the intro. It's a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it is because uh, according to your IG, you were cooking for Nancy Pelosi the other week. (laughs) You were so cute in D.C., all bundled up. What was that about? What were you doing there? I uh, I had the honor of being selected as the chef to represent California for the Christmas tree lighting ceremony at the U.S. Capitol, which was so huge, such a big honor. And, you know, I didn't even really know much about the Christmas tree lighting ceremony. And apparently it's this big deal. And they they take trees from a different state every year. And this year, the tree happened to come from Northern California up in Crescent City. So every year they pick a different chef from that state. And so it was such an honor to be there and just uh, be in D.C. and and feel the spirit of, um, you know, just America and Christmas and, and the whole thing, bringing people together. Absolutely. And you were the boss because when you <laughs> in the presence of Miss Nancy, this is Nancy Pelosi. She is the boss. And she knew my name. It was crazy. Of it was just like wild, the whole thing. I was like, what is happening right now? And like, how has food taken me here? This is incredible. So, oh, no, yeah. you're there. You're there. You're here. <laughs> you definitely, definitely. And that's like the only time I kind of seen you like uh, blush a little bit. She's like, 
she knew my name. I was like, of course she knows your name because she's up on things. And yeah, that, that was really cute. We love that. But take us back a little bit. Uh, where were you born? How did food enter your life? How did you insist you and your sister like come up in California? <laughs> give me give me everything. Yeah, I um I grew up in Los Angeles, kind of more on the east side, San Gabriel mm-hmm. Valley. Um, yes. Yeah, right. Well, I actually grew up in Hacienda Heights, which nobody knows about where that is, but it's a little further east of San Gabriel. Um, my family's from Hong Kong. My mother's from nice. Hong Kong. Father's from Shanghai. Uh, we grew up speaking Cantonese at home. That was my first language up until maybe kindergarten. Wow. Um, but yeah, I got into food. I was always interested in in cooking and, and food was started off as a hobby. And it really was a necessity to just put food on the table for the family. Mm. I was maybe five or six years old when I was standing on a wooden stool and like stir frying vegetables in a big walk nice. with my mom. But um, I think growing up with very traditional Asian parents, like cooking wasn't really the journey that they wanted me to go on. Uh, there was a lot of pressures to, you know, be a doctor or be a lawyer or just do something uh, more academic with my life. <laughs> and so I and did. And you started. And you did. You yeah. started there, right? In college, right? Yeah, I went to college. I got my undergrad in cognitive science. I would love to say that I still use it, but I don't. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I went through the traditional, you know, route of, of going to college, getting my bachelor's degree, but always had my heart in food. And I was mm-hmm. moonlighting in kitchens while I was doing studying for my undergrad. Um, I think like seven, I think it was 17 was when I first started in kitchens. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But it, there's, there's so many things to unpack because I just want to get a lot. <laughs> people, well, first of all, San Gabriel Valley for me. It is like a gift to LA. Mm-hmm. How many Chinese restaurants would it be in San Gabriel Valley? I have no idea. It's mind blowing. Mind blowing. I have no idea, but it is a very rich, rich, you know, Chinese populated area or Asian populated neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother lived there, and she mm. didn't know English. She didn't have to know English because Why? everyone wow. spoke Chinese in that part of, of town. So LA, you know, is a very diverse city and there's a lot of these little pockets, ethnic yeah. pockets of um, just really incredible communities and food. I, I have a memory of going there uh, with Anthony Bourdain and yeah. we went there to have incredible session meal. And it it was to the point that me and Tony, we just stood and watched the kitchen and the owner or the just came up, you're in a way, you can't stand here, stand into the kitchen. <laughs> There's customers to be served. And yeah. we realized we didn't say anything, but we had the best time. We're just watching the chefs working and they're like, who is this tall white dude in this short <laughs> black dude just staring into our kitchen? They're like, they're not the health department. Are they, you're like, they were like looking at us. What do you guys, like, we you know were you're, You know you're in the you know? right place when no one looks like you. <laughs> and yes. you're like, you know you're in the right place. <laughs> yes, yes. And then I went back actually with our dear friend, Naisha Arrington. I, I go back a lot because I just think that it's, and LA actually is much, much, much diverse in its food scene than most people think. Most people that Absolutely. don't know LA think it's all about, of course, it's all about the entertainment industry. 
but mm-hmm. the food scene the is so diverse. It's incredible. I've traveled to so many places, lived in many places, and I always go back to, you know, my roots of LA and where I grew up. And, you mm. know, if I really want, you know, the best Szechuan food or the best dim sum, yes. uh, Korean barbecue, there's there's everything down there, tacos, you know, and there's, you have to just explore LA because it's so large and it's, mm-hmm. it, it is difficult to get around, but that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. <laughs> but the food is Were rich. you, would you be officially ABC or would you? Yeah. What, the American born uh, Chinese. Definitely is an like ABC. Yeah. Definitely yeah, ABC. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> yes, of course. But I don't sometimes it could be that the kids are not because the parents your parents were born in Hong Kong and so, mm-hmm. so definitely what your mom. Yeah, so, my cool. parents my parents came to America for college. So they were, yeah. you know, like 18, 19 when they moved mm-hmm. here. Um, so yeah, I, I would say I'm an ABC and I get made fun of for that, <laughs> depending if I, uh, if I'm in America or if I'm in Hong Kong, uh, yeah. you kind of, you, you kind of never fit in, in either world. You're in hey, between. welcome to my life. That me too. <laughs> right? You. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So how did you find your culture and your identity? Because that is, once <clears throat> you go to American high school, you, you prob- probably mm-hmm. want to be like any other kid, right? How did you find, where did you fit? Absolutely. I, you know, I actually went to a very predominantly white Christian school up until eighth grade or up until high school. And I felt, you know, this pressure to not be Chinese or to be more American and to Mm -hmm. fit in. And even as far as like my lunchbox at school okay. and, and the foods oh, I would no, bring, no, no, no. you know, you like the, the best whole lunchbox, lunchbox story, right? I had the best <laughs> lunchbox there. And it's like, you know, kids make fun of you and, you know, you bring your kanji and your fried rice yes. to school and, you know, Smelly, the, fer- the fermented good. things. Yes. Exactly. But looking back, it's like, I had the best lunchbox and I was proud of that meal. Um, what was but, you in know, it? Just give me two, give me a Monday and a Wednesday. I just want to know what was I in mean, it. I mean, we I grew up eating a lot of leftovers. It honestly yeah. was whatever we had, whatever my mom and I made the night before. And yeah. it could be like a fried rice. It would be congee in a little thermos. Um, a bone broth. My mom made a lot of different herbal Chinese bone broths with like wow. chicken and ginseng. So yeah, I nice. definitely had the stinky stuff up in that box, but okay. it was great. Okay. And so I th- basically, things that uh, Melissa now charges forty eight dollars for <laughs> on a pop up. I got it. I got. it. I know where this stuff is coming from. Virtual cooking classes, yeah. <laughs> actually, <laughs> on my website. Check it out. Chefmelissaking.com. Nice, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's so cool. And. So your sister, did you guys go to the same high school? Did you like, like... We went to different high schools. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't actually find my community until I went to high school where I realized my high school was very uh, predominantly Latin, Hispanic and Asian and black. And so I remember feeling the sense, it was like a warm hug, you know, (laughs) I like realized like these are my people and I felt the sense of belonging when for so many years I didn't. And um, I think, you know, throughout, you even see through my food, I I started to, Mm -hmm. I grew up in very traditional French Michelin star kitchens and French training, Italian training. And I remember at a certain point, I didn't cook Chinese food. (laughs) I didn't really think to bridge it together. Um, You know, the stuff we ate at home was so compartmentalized and that was so separate. 
Um, and I, what, I don't think it was until my Top Chef journey where I started to really embrace like more of yeah. all the mm. layers of me and, and you see that through my food. So uh, yeah. I was really proud of that journey. So you worked for an incredible chef, Dominic Cran, in mm-hmm. San Francisco, and uh, among many. But talk a little bit about the commitment it takes to work in a three-star Michelin kitchen, about the craftsmanship, and what was the lessons you felt like? This is what I got from mm-hmm. the journey with Dominic. For me, in in any of the Michelin star kitchens I've been in, a lot is about discipline and mm-hmm. respect for the ingredients. Um, and also camaraderie, like you, you learn to really work as a team and work together, uh, and, and uplift each other. And I think, you know, the, the quality of your dish is only as good as like the weakest link in the kitchen. So you really, um, start to learn to trust each other. Uh, and that, that's kind of what I took from it all. And my experience with, with chef Dominique was, you know, she gave me opportunity as a woman, you know, I, she was the first female chef I had worked for. And I was, I remember being really excited to to find someone like her to train under. And, um, I remember on my first day, I was supposed to start on Garmage and I kind of talked to her uh, and pulled her aside and was like, you know, I really want to challenge myself. And I think I, I think I deserve to be on the hotline. (laughs) And I like kind of had this whole convincing like speech that I gave her and she, she did it. She was like, you know what? Sure. Let's do it. Let's give you a shot, you know, because there wasn't anyone else out there that was going to give me that. And so to this day, I'm so grateful to her for that opportunity. But you also had the confidence to ask, you know, there's a Mm -hmm. coming into a kitchen like that could also be overwhelming, but you believed in yourself, right? You really did. Yeah, a lot of, I think these kitchens can be tough and they can, uh, you feel you have to kind of just put your head down and and just do the work. But um, a lot is, yeah, as you said, that confidence in yourself to push yourself a little more and challenge yourself every day. I remember in moments I would feel a plateau and I would feel mm-hmm. just kind of bored and want to switch things up. And, wow. and so asking for the things that I felt I needed to grow was was important. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you, so I come from a small food country, but it's big in terms of certain aspects of food, but Sweden, and I've always thought about when I was cooking French food in three-star Michelin, I never thought anyone would ever ask about high-end Swedish food until you kind of have to go invent it yourself. And even with mm-hmm. Ethiopia and Africa as a continent, when I was started cooking, it's almost you couldn't see yourself. But you come from mm-hmm. such a huge food country like China in, in terms of culture. It mm-hmm. has impacted. I don't think there is any anyone like Chinese food culture is totally global. So for me, it's interesting that you departmentalize that cuisine because it's so big. But you just didn't see it in fine dining or what was it? I think it's that I didn't see it in fine dining. And I had spent so many years of my life. I mean, in many ways, um, you know, as a queer woman and as a woman in a kitchen and just all the, all the layers of just hiding myself <laughs> and oh. feeling like I had to fit into this American culture and this European centric cuisine with yeah. my cooking. And I didn't see, you know, modern Chinese cuisine being celebrated um, yes. in Michelin star kitchens. And so I kind of I maybe perhaps subconsciously suppressed that side of me and mm-hmm. didn't 
didn't think to embrace it until until my whole coming out journey um, as an individual um, and and especially on on Top Chef was like a moment where I really came out in many ways, came out through my food and came out in my sexuality on like national television. So it was this whole journey of finding, embracing my identity and really being proud of that. And um, I think that's why when you watch, you know, Top Chef All-Stars, which was maybe five or six years after the first time I was on the show, you see my food just, it's completely different. You see it really evolve and embrace you know, Chinese cuisine and all the foods that I grew up on, Shanghainese cuisine, just like really diving yeah. deeper into my into my soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think as artists and chefs, we create and put food on a plate, but end of the day, it's like, it's such a big part of us and who we are. And um, it, it's art, you know, it's art and, and just being able to represent yourself on that plate. Mm-hmm. I remember being judging in the final of Top Chef All Star, and your food—you just—you were just so fluent in your food. And we were in Italy, and the balance between sort of respecting the place where we were in Italy, so you were nodding mm-hmm. a little bit at Italy, but there was no doubt you were doing your food that mm-hmm. has definitely tones from Hong Kong, tones from Shanghai, but just like it was your food, and it was so clear when the food arrived that. They didn't have to say that this was Melissa King's food. Mm-hmm. And not only did it look incredible, it tastes so specific. So it's really one of one. The food you, was one of one, which was amazing were, to see. You were one of few people to have to have been able to try my food on, on that level. And so I'm really mm. like proud that you're here and we're talking about it. Um, mm. Because yeah, it was such a personal experience, the whole thing. And then curating that specific menu with uh, the Tassu octopus and the, mm. uh, the porcini that was confit mm. with the squab, Hong Kong milk tea tiramisu, like really, you know, wanting to bridge in these flavors I think what did I do? I did like a black bean, uh, fermented mm-hmm. black bean um, jus for the squab. Um, but yeah, such a personal experience. It's it's like writing a love letter. Yeah, <laughs> you know. When, but how when did I write you these feel? Menus. Because I remember when I was a Top Chef master at the final, I was I was tired at the semifinal, and actually my back went out. Mm-hmm. So, but once I arrived to the final, it was okay. You've been away for eight weeks. Well, how long it was? You're not about to screw this, screw this up. I was like super, like I woke up that morning and just felt, okay, I'm going to put myself on a plate. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I talk, we talked to a lot of our friends, like, you know, sometimes people just drop off because they're just mentally so tired. It's not that they can't cook anymore, yeah. but they don't have anything. In them. So in the mental game of being in a competition that is that long, can you talk a little bit about that? What's the mental side like? Yeah, I often say that, Top Chef or any comp- cooking competition, it is a mental game. You know, there's a certain point where everyone's good. Everyone can possibly win this show, but it's about your mental stamina and and whether, yeah. like how focused you can stay because you are exhausted. You don't sleep very much. <laughs> you are worn so thin. <laughs> but to be able to push beyond that and keep going and still create food that you're proud of is the challenge of it all. Um, so yeah, I remember coming in feeling 
like I had a I had a very clear vision of what I wanted to present you and, and the rest of the um, judges that evening, and so I felt I walked away feeling really proud, like nice that I had nice. accomplished the task and it was you know done to my liking. Yeah, we didn't have any major hiccups or anything like that, but that yeah. goes for everyone that was competing that day. You know, mm-hmm. S- yeah, Stephanie yeah. Smar and Brian Baltaggio. No, oh, absolutely. And when that happens, like I, I remember not even hearing that I won. I just didn't understand. I was so tired. How did you receive <laughs> it? And where did what was like the moment when you won? Like how? How did that feel? Did you just like? I mean, exhausted? you know, it's like, yeah, it is. It's there's so many feelings rushing through you. It's a blur, you know, because you're just so fatigued and <laughs> mentally, physically, um, that you can't really even comprehend what's happening. So I'm, I'm always grateful that they film these things and you can like yeah. rewatch it <laughs> and be like, oh, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of crying, basically, a lot mm-hmm. of tears. As you know. As two chefs of color, you know, mm-hmm. I want to say that I don't think about my African, my blackness when I represent on TV, but it's part of it, right? Mm-hmm. It could be sometimes the reason why you root for someone. It could be the reason why I get hate, right? The core mm-hmm. reason why I get a lot of hate text and stuff like that. But you represent something that is larger than yourself. And when you enter a competition, you don't think about it. You just go in and like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to do this. Uh, people see Top Chef all over the world and you become, you know, part of people's life in a different way. Mm-hmm. Being Chinese-American, being Asian, do you think about in a year like we've just had, right, with the rise of Asian hate, you are representative on the opposite of that, the most positive, the most, you know, this is possible. Like, mm-hmm. how, did, how did you kind of like... How do you feel, think about representing your culture and where do you fit in, in, in that? Yeah, I think as you mentioned, you know, it was something I didn't think about initially. I had just gone into this competition and just was myself and was like, I'm going to cook food and, and try my best and go through this experience. And it wasn't until coming out on the other side where I started realizing this matters or represent, you know, like, like all the parts of me and what you see matters because I was getting just initially like a wave of emails, messages Mm. on Instagram from, there was so much love and support from the people in my communities, uh, whether you're Asian or a woman chef or a queer kid in the middle of nowhere trying to figure out how to come out to your parents. I was getting so many messages and people saying, you know, your story resonated with me and thank you for being out there. And that, that's what keeps me going, honestly. Like that's what makes me feel like I need to just keep doing what I'm doing. keep being myself, keep putting it all out there because this can potentially change someone else's life somewhere else. Like they could be watching this and seeing someone that looks like them and feeling proud of that experience. And so even when all the the AAPI hate stuff started happening and started to come out more, I mean, these were things that it's no surprise to me, you know, racism happens and it's been happening. It happened my entire life. And, um, but I'm glad that it's now being put on that spotlight. But at the same time, I felt I have to continue to speak out because I am one of few people that 
have the platform to do that. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, it, it's it's such a waste to have this mm-hmm. this platform. And so there is a lot of stress that comes with it or a lot of pressure to yeah, feel yeah. that you have to represent all of these communities. But um, at the end of the day, I'm just trying my best to stay authentic to who I am and um, and just, yeah, let people know that yeah. I see you, I support you, I'm with you in this. I get it. I, I understand the things that we go through and, and the struggles that we go through as a community and, yeah. like, how can we support one another? So, yeah, I'm, I think everything I do, I, I'm always thinking from that lens these days. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's interesting because when you were in that village of San Gabriel Valley, race, you were protected in a way. But once you enter and went to school, it's a whole other, whole other world, right? Mm-hmm. And as a black kid, for me, it's like I never told my parents what happened in school because I just didn't want my mom. The worst thing that would happen would yep. be if mom came to school. That's nothing. Exactly. <laughs> that would be the worst thing. But it was this dual thing. And it's like. You yeah. bring and, and you build on that, and that goes somewhere. And, uh, you know, like, I'm older than you, but, like, mental health was just not a thing. Exactly. That you could, it wasn't something that we talked about at all. 
same, same, especially in the, like the Asian community. We do not talk mm. about our feelings. Our parents don't hug us. Like it's very, yeah. um, not, emo- it's not an emotional, uh, culturally, we are not uh, tapped into being emotional. And so, yeah, mental health is wow. something that our community struggles with at times. And so I, I do think talking more about it and, and telling people that it is okay to express feelings and it is okay to go see a therapist. I think it's so yeah. healthy. Everyone should have a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the best thing, you know? So with, with knowing that, with that context, then how did you, can you share with us, how did you come out to your family? Because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of different, like, <clears throat> Immigrant families, like we are different in many ways, but we maybe not. It's hard to talk about certain things. Sure. So, 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 how did you? Um, I, it, as you mentioned, kind of like that double life happens, yep. and uh, I, it was happening at school with, you know, just me being Asian and and wanting to be more American at school, and then at home I would embrace more of the Asian side. And then even in my sexuality, that was the same. I started living this dual life where I had moved to the East Coast for culinary school and was like out and proud. And then I'd come back home to the West Coast to my family and I'd be closeted again. And so there was this dual um, life that ends up happening when you hide that part of yourself. And for many years, I felt... You know, I felt a lot of shame. I felt guilt. I felt that my family was going to disown me, mm-hmm. um, that they wouldn't understand. And uh, but once I opened up to them, I feel like that's when my life changed and when wow. our my relationship got closer with them. Uh, you know, it did take time and it took a lot of conversations of just being really open and honest and vulnerable between on both sides. But I think forcing those conversations with my parents and siblings and, you know, everyone in the family was so necessary in order for me to feel 100% myself around them. Because I was, like, compartmentalizing and hiding. They only saw, like, 50% of me. Sure. Sure. And and that's, like, I think with anything, right, it's super, super hard to Mm -hmm. share with your family. Sometimes it can be easier to share with a non-family member. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, that's how it felt. You know, I felt like on the East Coast, you know, there was no one that could tie it back home. So I was safe in a way Mm. to just be out and be myself on on the East Coast and have a girlfriend and live, you know, my little imaginary fake life. But end of the day, it it wasn't honest to the people on the other side of the coast. And um, so, yeah, once I came out to my immediate family you know, it took a couple of years to kind of really um, for everyone to feel comfortable. And and again, those honest, vulnerable conversations needed to happen. But then I went on Top Chef on my first season. And that was the first time I came out to like everyone. And I was yeah. like, grandma yeah. knows now. Aunt's <laughs> and uncle knows, you know, like my mom's friend down the street knows like and and that was that was a really um special moment of my life because I at that point didn't feel I had to hide anymore. And I was just like, you know what? F it. Let's just yeah. put it all out there. And either you like me or you don't. And yeah. I, I was so confident and comfortable in my skin at that point in time that I didn't need anyone's validation anymore. 
Nice, beautiful, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Once auntie and grandma knows, you know, there's there's nothing. Then there's it. no turning that's back. You know? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, I I also wanted to talk to you about. I mean, we're gonna jump back and forth there, but tell me, when I started cooking, there was one way to be in food. You went mm -hmm. to the best restaurant. I was fortunate enough to get some scholarship to study in France and in Switzerland and learn pastry in Austria and so on. Mm -hmm. But it was really to be, the restaurant life was the only way, path to be a chef. Yeah. Now there's plurestal passes, which I feel like you are such an incredible representative of that. You might do a restaurant, you might not. Mm -hmm. You might do some events that you like, you may not. You might work on TV. So the world in food has opened and become so much larger. Mm -hmm. But I also know you as a person, you don't compromise the crafts. So like when mm -hmm. you do pop-up, that's like a serious event in terms of skills and, mm -hmm. and, and, and cooking. So where do you see our industry with chefs, celebrity chefs? Where, where do we go? Where are we in three years from now? Where are we in five years from now? Yeah, I think, like, as you mentioned, for, even for myself, I always felt I had to just open a restaurant and that was the end goal, mm -hmm. get, a, get a Michelin star and I'd be happy. And then I started to realize there is so much beyond that. <laughs> you mm -hmm. can do anything you want in this industry and change it and evolve it to whatever you dream. There is no limit. The limit doesn't have to end at one restaurant or mm -hmm. a restaurant at all. You know, I think... Um, Right now, I've, I've, and the pandemic honestly taught me a lot of that. And it taught mm. me to pivot and learn to adapt and evolve my business model to virtual cooking classes, um, doing sauces and selling products. Um, right now, I'm working on writing a book. And so, you know, there's so many other avenues you can go. And I always tell young chefs, like, don't limit yourself. And mm. yeah, dream big, you know, dream really big. If it sounds outrageous, then that's a good thing. <laughs> you know? I love that. Because you can achieve it. And, and it really, um, anything is possible in this world. And, and I do feel that. I love that message. Dream big. I, I, I was told once by a chef, like, you have to lower your ambition. And I said, I, I knew what? that's when we, that's where I was like, <laughs> okay, we're done. I love you. You taught me a lot, but I'm out. Mm -hmm. Because it was yeah. just that line. He didn't even scream at me. He used to scream at me all the time. But I was like, <laughs> you need to lower, as a black chef, you need to lower your ambition. No. He was just very clear no. about that. I said, I'm out. That's it. Yeah. You just know, that I got clarity. Actually, I feel not grateful that he said at the moment, but like, it was just clarity. I mm -hmm. have to go because I wanted to dream big. And, yeah. and, and not and necessarily what, clarity what it was, but I just wanted to dream big, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's no limit. And mm -hmm. the only limit is the limit that people put on you. And I just, mm -hmm. I feel for me, my curiosity is just like, I'm always want to try new things and think outside of the box. Yes. And I will not let someone else limit my, my abilities to succeed and, and to, to create. And so that's kind of the lens I always think of it from mm. is, yeah, cre creating just beautiful things in the world and collaborating with other partners that are doing incredible, yes. like, works out there. Maybe they're not chefs and they're musicians or, you know, just, like, mm. in, in other realms of talent. And I think so much beauty can come from those collaborations. 
That's beautiful. I wanted to ask you, have you cooked in China yet? Have you gone I'm back? Not. No. So that's a goal. I, we can put that I in know, the bucket right? list. We got to do that. I've never, I've only been to Hong Kong and mm. uh, as far as China. Yeah, but I haven't been to the rest of China. So yeah, let's yeah. I'm, sign me up. Yeah. Now I cook, I say that because uh, when, I mean, I was fortunate to just cook all over, but when I came to Ethiopia and cooked, it was just different. It just felt different, right? Like mm-hmm. I am Ethiopian. I look Ethiopian. I didn't speak the language, but it's like, what can I do? I can cook, right? So I yeah. cooked this fancy dinner, and then I went the next day. We cooked at this uh, shelter where and put the same energy, same ingredients into these two places, right? And um, it's one of the most gratifying things I've ever done. You know, just being there with my people. Yeah. Totally confused because I couldn't speak, but I, I knew I could provide <laughs> this skill set. So one day when you're going to do that, we'll do that. It's just one of these things that I felt like this is one of the most important cooking events for me, right? Yeah. It was completely selfish, but me and my wife would go actually every year pre-pandemic, we go to this, it's called Mother Teresa uh, shelter and we cook for 500 people. It's a big wow. get up, but it's so incredible because... You know, it's just, it has nothing to do with what we do in our world here, right? But it's just, this is the craft that I know and I can share that. And you're exactly. sharing with aunties, uncles, and you're just <laughs> cooking away. And then you eat the meal together. And we create this town hall where anyone can go up and speak. And they laugh at me because I don't speak the language because I have to like, and <laughs> my wife has to translate. And you just out there and it's just it's my favorite day of the year but that's the beauty of food is it can bring people together like that you know you don't have to speak the same language in Mm. order to feel each other's love and culture and and just all the all the emotions that we pour into our cuisine um so i'm so glad you had a chance to do that I, i would love to do that Someone mm, needs to film mm. that. Yes, yes, <laughs> we yes. We should go back yes, to our hometowns go back. Yes. <laughs> and do that. Yeah. It would be amazing. Can I ask you also, like, so your road, you went to the East Coast, but you also have traditional college. If you're a young chef today, you're mm-hmm. whatever, 19, 21, whatever, would you recommend the same path as yours? Or if I'm starting out in the industry, what would be Melissa King's recommendation <laughs> for a young, up-and-coming, curious chef? I, I get this question quite often, and I tend to say I, I do think going to college was very beneficial. I think mm-hmm. at the time I didn't understand it, and I was very resistant to my parents' desires for me to do that. And But looking back as an adult, I'm like, I'm so grateful I went and got my undergrad. I feel that that taught me a lot just about life and yeah. connecting with people and just um, the whole experience of college is wonderful. And then culinary school, I always say to people, you know, if you have the means to go, then you should go, you know. But yeah. if you don't, if, if if money is tight, you can absolutely learn in a kitchen and just work your way through it and and learn all the, the things that you need to succeed as a chef. At the end of the day, it's the passion that you have for it. It's not necessarily yeah. all about the, the, the money to go to school and, and that sort of thing, but... Um, I always tell people to get curious, you know, if you've never worked in a kitchen before and you want to be a chef, then jump in, go knock on a door and get a job yeah. and, um, you know, really jump in and see if that experience is, is right for you. Because a lot of people make the mistake of going to culinary school and then they come out and realize, 
I don't want to work every weekend. I don't want to work at nighttime and cook dinner for people. I don't want to sacrifice my holidays. And, And that's the thing. It is a very selfless industry to be in. You have to be willing to sacrifice so much of your, your life to your food Mm. and to the people that are eating your food. Um, and yeah, you don't come out making, you know, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, sure. it, it's, you know, pretty, um, as far as like your financial situation may be tough in the beginning, but again, it's the passion. You have to love it enough to want to stick with it, to want to be curious enough mm-hmm. about it. Um, and that's where you're going to grow and, and, and also meet amazing people along the way that can help mold you into the, sh- into the chef that you want to be. Nice. I, that's, I, I completely agree. I think it's really also connected to your curiosity, right? Finding out mm-hmm. about yourself, you know, finding out about the craft and, like and travel, the, eat, travel, eat around the world, you know, mm. learn about flavors, um, mm. pick up books, you know, mm. like, I think a lot of it is just how curious are you mm-hmm. willing to go? Ask. As a chef, I mean, you worked in the East Coast, but you also can definitely West Coast. Who were the icons for you coming up? Who were the role models that you like? You know, when I was coming up, there was no, also being in Europe, right? I looked at anything that was not French. That was like Mm -hmm. the whole thing. (laughs) And for me, it was, I just looked at Mark Piero White because he had long hair. I didn't even know <laughs> you could have long hair and work in the kitchen. And then Wolfgang Puck. I knew about, I'm like, who is this Austrian person that can work yeah. in the United States? <laughs> so if an Austrian person can work in the United States, that means that I one day can work in America. Those was my two connective, like basically like yeah. posters on a wall. And I got, you know, I went to London and bought White Heat. Like I bought the book. It's like spent my money and did it. And Two years later, I went to eat at one of his restaurants and I saved up all my money. So those were kind of, for me, coming up. Those were the two heroes for me. What about for you? Who's like mentors or people that you really Um, idolized? Mine were all mainly Californians. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think like one I got, I was fortunate enough to cook for was Ron Siegel. And I was with Ron for four, four and a half years um, as a sous chef. And he really taught me to really embrace Californian cuisine, get to know my farmers, build a relationship with the local communities. Um, But also he had this curiosity for Japanese cuisine. And I think he had just come off of like Iron Chef and beat like Sakai back in the days. And so- No, 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 stop. You can't small like that. That was (laughs) big. He was American (laughs) dude. Went to Japan and pa, 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 you know, one in Japan. (laughs) Like, I remember that. I I didn't believe it when I heard it. It It's like 99 or some shit like this. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I don't believe you. And it wasn't like really internet yet. It was, but I was like. like before American Iron Chef. This is like legit Japanese Iron Chef. (sighs) Completely legit. And it's like, I don't believe it. So I just didn't believe it. And then I actually went to his restaurant in Knob Hill and ate there. Mm -hmm. And I was like. I believe it. And a lot of people, you know, he's so, he's so modest and silent and a lot of people don't necessarily know him, but he is a legend and at least to me and, and yeah, to To you and yeah, yeah, he's, he's legendary in, in the community or in the industry. And I was fortunate enough to work for him, but he, he by far is my, you know, biggest culinary like mentor um, and taught me, he taught me a lot about leadership as well. And, you know, to lead with respect and you don't have to 
cuss and curse and throw things at people. <laughs> and, and it was an exp- it was an, a very different change of, of the other Michelin star restaurants I had been in where it was a, that, that was a bit more toxic. Um, but yeah, I have so much respect for him. Nice. Um, and then any woman that was in the industry, like back to Dominique, um, Alice Waters, um, Cecilia Chang, any mm, yes, woman yes, in the industry yes. that was crushing it. Yeah. And Cecilia Tracy being like Tracy, Tracy. Exactly. So I think all the Californian women chefs that were here in, in the Bay Area were, were people that I just admired and wanted to be a part of their world and wanted to learn from them. I love that you brought up Cecilia Chang. That's yeah. amazing. Amazing. Talk about a life story. Should be a book. Should be a movie. Should be everything. Should right. be, yeah. Right. Will be. It's just like, what a gift. Like, just amazing. And then also, we we forgot Queen. Queen Nancy Silverton, too. So we got to Yes, Nancy. Nancy. Oh. Um, and then, like, in my younger, younger years, it was mm. a lot of Julia Child and Martin Yan. Because yes. I would watch them religiously on, like, PBS. <laughs> And I would watch Sesame Street and then jump over oh. to like Martin Yan and Yan Can Cook. But it was incredible to see someone out there that was making food that my mom made like at home. Yes. Made, like, clay pot rice and just like really homey Cantonese dishes and was speaking Chinese like through the television yeah. to me. So I remember admiring Martin Yan a lot like in my elementary school years. Can I tell you my funny Martin Yan story? We were at some convention hall and he was prepping a, a dish, his chicken, and was butchering it basically like in 10 seconds. He was butchering chicken. 10 seconds with a and Chinese meat cleaver. Of course. Wow, 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 and wow. and it, it, like the whole audience was there. Like, and I just happened to, in my demo, I happened to do chicken too. Like, I just didn't know. And we were on at the same time. And then he just walked over to me after like, after like my three minutes of butchering chicken. He's like, maybe you should. Maybe you should butcher the chicken before, Mark, and just put it in the pan. It was like, tap on the shoulder. Kid, come over here. You don't want to put your chicken next to Martin Yan. No I was like, way. There were like eight people in my demo and 380 people in his demo. And he's like, good job, kiddo. And I was just like, and it's, but I appreciated those moments because that's, it's part of it, right? You got to go through it. Yeah. You got to, you got to get those L's. But, you know, there's someone in the room that sees <laughs> So much faster than me. <laughs> he put Chinese meat cleavers on the map. You know, I that was the first knife I was gifted from my mom when I was like eight. And I remember thinking I didn't know how to use a Western knife yeah. at all. Yeah. And then here comes Martin Yan all over TV <laughs> using like a oh my this awesome cleaver. But he's the yes. man. He is definitely <laughs> the man. So there's lessons here. Do not butcher your chicken next to Martin Yan. And uh, the Chinese meat cleaver will never be a good knife to butcher anything with, unless you understand how to use the knife. <laughs> then it's everything. It's pretty right? awesome, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. What, um, I want to ask you two things. Tell me the about the pandemic for you. You talked about pivoting, but also... On your on your, you know, mental and, and emotional side, how how did you go through the whole s- stages of all this? You know, take us back a little bit to March t- 2020 or something. Yeah, like that. wow, it like doesn't even feel that long ago, which was wild about it all. But I, yeah, I just remember feeling so isolated, and mm-hmm. I think everyone felt that way because we couldn't leave our homes. 
um, for any reason and can go out to eat. And so that was depressing. Um, but that's where I started the virtual cooking class experiences. Yes. It was nice. really birthed from wanting to just connect with people and cook for them and teach them, empower them to cook at home because I knew that people couldn't go out. And so they had to, they were forced to stay home and, you know, feed their entire families. And people like my sister, she's a working mom with two identical twins. She doesn't have time to cook, (laughs) you know? And so I was like, yeah, like how can I do what I love most and teach people, at least give them, you know, the basic skills to, you know, make some dumplings that they can keep in their freezer and then they can cook it in like five minutes for their families when they need it. So that's what really came from that. And that human connection I was getting on, on those like zoom Mm -hmm. call or like the virtual class experience was really incredible as well. So I think that helped me stay connected. Um, And then just trying to check in with everyone, especially through all the stop AAPI hate, or all that, all that was was a lot emotionally to go through. Yeah, that's uh, but making I, sure to. That's something I really want to ask you about, right? So sure. as black as black people, we are used to this. Like you are mm-hmm. used to it comes from everywhere. It's public facing. Yep. We know it. But now you had the president of the United States blaming China for certain things, and Chinese Americans across the country get mm-hmm. like Im- this impacts on a local level. Right. Like mm-hmm. what was the talk within the community about that? Because that's an attack that I've never seen. Like I've never seen it happen on that level. You know what I mean? Like, gets- Yeah. For me, I just felt it was it was creating so much unnecessary hate mm. in the world. And I'm like, why do you have to blame an entire race yeah. of people um, for this pandemic. And so it, it was really disheartening to, to hear and to see the effects of how, how badly it started to really, um, mm-hmm. to get. And, you know, I did, I did my best to just do, you know, partake in as many speaking panels or speaking opportunities as I could yes. during that time to really get it all out there and to let the world know that this is not okay. And, you know, whether you're Asian or black or mm-hmm. like, or in Hispanic, it's just, it's not okay to continue so much hatred in the world. And um, yeah, I think the more we spoke and also Asians tend to be very silent people. Like culturally we are taught to put our heads down, stay silent, don't cause any ripples. And this is the first time I've ever seen our community band together and yes. really fight back and yes. Yes. be vocal and be strong. And a lot was a lot of that was because of what we saw with the entire black movement, uh, mm-hmm. you know, even back to the 50s. And, you know, just mm-hmm. seeing how your voice can be so powerful if you use it and, um, you know, without any of of what your community has done, mm-hmm. it, we, the Asian community would not have the courage mm-hmm. to do that. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's been incredible to see um, how vocal we've become. Nice. Beautiful. So 22 is right upon us. What <laughs> does the first six months in Melissa King's world look like? What are we doing? What are we cooking? Where are we going? What's going on? Tell me. 
Let's see. I got an opportunity to teach a class at Princeton and yes. that's happening. Yeah, that was like, I feel like my Asian parents are so proud right now. <laughs> see, <laughs> going you need to, to be a chef to go to Ivy League. <laughs> exactly. You gotta be yeah. a chef to go to Ivy League and teach a class. Um, so yeah, I'll be doing that. Otherwise, in between, I'm working on a book project. So yeah, a yes. lot of writing. Yeah. And I'm sure you know how that can be. With mm-hmm. <laughs> take some time. Um, trying to think what else is going on here. Yeah, but it's, that's exciting. Yeah, that's it's, cool. It's keeping me, a lot of things are keeping me busy. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> well, um, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your uh, incredible mind and personality and keep inspiring us here on this moment. I know that it's so important to be able to see other people, feel other people that look like us and different. So when you're out there, whether it's on TV or when you're out there in the space, you are representing so many people that it's just, yes, this is possible. So keep be the bright shining star and i can't wait to cook with you soon thank right? you marcus i can't wait either we got to make that happen we got to go out to eat in the san gabriel valley that's what we yes do. yes <laughs> date date we're gonna make that's that it. happen yeah okay go next time in la <laughs> thanks melissa for sharing your story today also thanks to rachel moore and jinja chan for setting this up What do you think about this episode? We want to hear from you. Let us know at thismomentpodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at thismomentpodcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.